Big Ed Idea Podcast, a podcast for those looking to change the world through education. Each week, we bring you a new idea, however big or bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, upheave, or remix education. Now, here's your host, my dad, Ryan Scott. Well, hello there. Yeah, you. Thank you very much uh, for joining us once again on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. Um, as my daughter so eloquently said in the intro, I am Ryan Scott, and I do hail from the beautiful uh, western Kentucky town of Henderson. Um, tonight, I am super duper excited about this guest. Um, this dude and I um, literally talk about every day if not every other day. Um, he is a mentor. He is a friend. Um, he is a confidant. We have known each other for, I don't know, going on a year now, but it, it really feels like we've known each other uh, quite quite some time. Um, so without further ado, I bring to you the poppy of pedagogy and the abuelo of achievement, my man, Martin Silverman, who his friends call Marty, um, he is a father. He's a grandfather, a husband, and a longtime educator. Actually, this, this starts his 39th year in education from beautiful San Antonio, Texas, uh, where my dad was born. He is committed to providing the best educational experience for the students and families at the one and only Salinas Elementary School, where he is the principal. Martin has worked in urban, suburban, and rural districts as a teacher and administrator. His interests are in creating and nurturing school culture, providing enriching experiences for students and families, and developing future teachers and administrators. Um, one thing I love about Martin, he is a former bilingual teacher and administrator, and he is definitely committed to providing ELL students with quality programs. Um, and he, so we, we kind of started podcasts at the same time. His original podcast was called The Second Question, uh, which highlighted educators and provided them a format to discuss ideas. He is now um, also co-hosting the, the Texan Connection um, with two other guys that I know, Dr. Daryl Porter and Dr. Jeff Springer. Um, so without further ado, um, I think I've ran out of things to say about the guy, but uh, Martin, welcome. Hey, Ryan, it's so great to be here with you in almost live person. I feel like we are almost sitting right next to each other. Uh, I'm sitting next to each other. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm just so proud and excited to be here. And the the poppy of pedagogy may <laughs> show up on a t-shirt sometime. I, yeah. I, I think I might. I think I might like that or the abuelo of achievement. I, one of those may end up on a shirt one day. So I, I really appreciate it. I appreciate you. And our friendship and our uh, time that we get to spend together today. Yeah, man, I uh, love alliteration. So anytime that I can throw a couple letters together, and um, I mean, for you, you're a poppy. You're 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 a grandfather, um, and you know you're a little bit older than me, which is perfectly cool because that's what I mean. Like you're my mentor, um, and so I tried to put those two together because you are, I would say, you're pretty knowledgeable when it comes to pedagogy. Well, I appreciate that, and. Uh, what a kind introduction, and I uh, hope I can live up to that buildup. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so I've got to tell you, before we start, my wife and I were talking, 
And evidently, my girls are calling for a Texas trip next year, next summer. So I'm going to tell you, um, I'm already going to reserve um, at least one day with uh, Marty Silverman. Because um, we normally, because our, like I think I told you, my, my family has a ranch out in Uvalde, Texas, that all of the relatives own like a fifth of a fifth of a fifth or something. So normally when we go out to Uvalde, we come through San Antonio and then go out through Hondo and um, out that way. So I'm putting you on notice. The Scott family is coming, uh, kind of like the Griswolds. I will look very forward to that. And you know, <laughs> right, I live uh, walking distance from SeaWorld and pretty much it's- Oh yeah. Awesome. So um, we'll find a way, we'll get, uh, you know, I'll get to see you hug the girls, um, uh, shake your wife's hand, and then I'll sneak you out the side door there and you and I can find a place to sit and, uh, and, and spend an afternoon just, you know- Chewing the fat. Yes, sir. Look awesome. Awesome, buddy. So- all right, so you kind of know this uh, podcast. You've listened to a couple of my episodes. So you know that I like to, right out of the gate, uh, set that tone for connections before content. Um, just for anybody out there that's listening, if this is the first time you've ever listened, um, both Marty and I believe firmly, 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 firmly that you got to make a connection with a kid um, or really anybody you encounter every day. Um, and so, you know, Marty and I have a really good relationship. So I'm hoping to ask him two questions. I don't know about him. Um, so my first one, Marty, what was your very first job? Oh my gosh. Okay. That's a great question. And what year was so, it? Uh, well, I, I'll tell you. So I was 15 years old and you know, I, Ryan, you know, I grew up in New York. I'm wearing my giant shirt. Mm -hmm. you know, can't see it, but I'm wearing my giant shirt today. I grew up in Brooklyn and my dad, worked at a factory in the garment district in New York, right around the corner from the Empire State Building on uh, East 33rd Street. Wow, cool. And he worked, it, it was really an interesting setup because it was a, at that time, it was a factory that actually manufactured high-end women's handbags, purses. Okay. Uh, that, that were sold in Neiman Marcus, you know, places like that, Lord Taylor, uh, high-end stores. And he worked though in the back, in the factory part um, where they actually had what you can call nothing else but a sweatshop mm. where you know, a bunch of immigrant labor was working on, you know, in darkened windows on sewing machines all day, putting these things together. My dad's job was to order the, like price out bags by uh, figuring out how much the raw materials cost to make each bag. Oh, wow. And then, you know, being able to price it out. Uh, and you know what, and, and it was a, a decent, I mean, a decent enough living for a guy that didn't graduate high school. So, you yeah, know, sure. I mean, it was in those days. So the year I was 15, which would have been 19, the summer of 1977. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, I, he got me a job. And uh, back at that time, in order to work at a job when you were 15, you had to get what was what were called working papers, which allowed you to be employed at age 15. So I went and got working papers and I worked that summer in the stock room of that factory, pulling stock off shelves and uh, getting it boxed up for, you know, shipment out to, to different stores. So uh, that was the first. That's an awesome, awesome, awesome story. Um, man, that would be, I would love to be a fly on the wall. Um, I've watched enough documentaries about New York in the late seventies. Like I don't, from what I understood and what I've heard, like it wasn't a beautiful history part of new york's history um but just how cool it had been late 70s you know that's disco era that's when 
Um, hip hop is starting to, starting to happen in the punk rock underground clubs. Um, man, so, that's just, Brian, so, so cool. you have got to, you've got to watch NY seventy seven if you have not watched that already. Writing it I down. NY seventy seven, the coolest year in hell. It's called sweet seventy seven. Yeah, seventy seven was a uh, was not the best times for New York. That was um, it was dirty and it was you know. Uh, a lot of crime. I mean, it's so, I don't know if you've been in New York uh, at all, you know, in the Never. last Never. years, but okay. Cause it's way cleaned up and you know, it, it's in a pretty good way, but 77 was not its best era, but um, I, you'll appreciate this. Cause I did go to uh, CBGB as a high school kid. Yeah. The subway out to CBGB to see, um, you know, well at that time, yeah, you know, I couldn't remember who I saw, but it could be somebody, you know, a punk band that ended up being something, you know, for all I know. But, yeah. It was yeah, just so cool. Yeah. So cool. All right, my friend. Um, so my first job, my dad um, owned a, for a long time, had like a, a mechanical shop and they worked on power plants. And so he had a welding shop and I think I was 14 and my job was to grind weld, sweep the floor, um, do whatever dad asked. I, I got a really good blue collar education because it was all men um, and they didn't care that I was 14. They, they taught me some wonderful words, um, some really wonderful jokes. Um, and they might've had some very colorful magazines in the bathroom, but that is another day. <laughs> so my, my other, friend- whole other podcast. Yeah, that is, yeah, that is definitely, yeah, we'll, we'll, we won't go there. All right, Martin, I'm very interested. What are two pet peeves that you have? My gosh. Okay. So anybody that knows me, uh, that works with me or, you know, is around me knows that one of my pet peeves is not having or people not using a coaster when you have a drink that sweats. Whoops. Because I, I, there's something about drips on a table or like that ring, you know what I'm talking about? On oh, table. yeah. Um, uh, and what's so funny about that is when uh, my wife Brenda and I were in Seattle recently, we went on a you know a, a three day weekend to Seattle. Array. And, uh, yes, and we and one of the things we bought and brought home, although we bought it as a gift and gave it away, was a kitchen towel that says, "Did you even see that poster, or have you never really loved me?" And that <laughs> is, I mean, that, that describes my one of my number one pet peeves. Okay. I'm Absolutely. bringing my own coaster then when we come. Yeah, bring your own coaster. Just make sure you have one or use one. Yes. Um, another is I don't like. Uh, I'm just going to go like kind of basic here. I don't like sticky. I don't like my hands sticky. Okay, so like yeah. an example, you know, people love watermelon, peaches, things like that, and I like them enough, but. Right now, the thought of like picking up a piece of watermelon or a peach and biting into it and having that juice on my hand without a way to immediately like get rid of that. It just, that is definitely a pet peeve of mine. And what's funny is that has passed to my youngest son who will say all the time, like, I want to eat that, but that's sticky and I don't want to be sticky. You know, like, it's just funny how that goes. So that is funny. In coasters. That is funny. Um, two of my pet peeves. Um, cleaning up after yourself. Um, and that's exceptionally hard when you have a four, six, and nine-year-old. 
<laughs> we seem like we are always getting on to. And then I'll be honest, like this, this sounds cliche, but like just negative people. Yeah. Just negative people. Um, you know me. I mean, I, I try to get up every day and feed that positive dog. And, but at the same time, that's not something that came naturally to me either. Um, but yeah, you know, I just, we all have a reason to be happy. We just got to look deep. Absolutely. And you have helped me to believe that and think about that multiple times. I'm, I'm glad that I, that I can. That is definitely one, uh, something that I also believe is uh, that positivity, you know, it's, it takes as much energy, right, to be positive as negative. So you might as well be happy rather than make yourself miserable. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm definitely all about that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, my friend, what questions um, do you have for me? Okay, so knowing you, Ryan, I picked one question that I, I'm, I'm going to give uh, some context to that I know may be hard for you to answer. Oh, okay? great. Uh, but it's not, it's not a hard question. It just may be hard for you to answer. Okay. So, so I want you to not in the realm of your work or your family, okay? Okay. So don't, you can't give me a work example or, a, or your family example. What is the best compliment that you've ever received? Not in. So not from a student, not from your wife or kids. Okay. Yeah, this was, this is a tough one to think about. Um... <laughs> um, I was a really good server when I was, a, so I served um, at, at a bar for a while. I served at Chili's for a while. I served at a billiards slash craft beer bar, and I was a really good server. Um, and you're asking me the questions so I can say it. Um, I just did. It, I had just had a really good job of connecting with the customers, and maybe that's why I still think connections should come first. But um, I always made really good money, and I think it was because I connected personally with every customer. That whole so, service service okay, so what, mentality. So, what was the, so I'm gonna press you. What was the compliment you received? What's the specific thing somebody said to you? Um, that I remember because I, you know, and I was a bartender for a while, and so I memorized everybody's drink. I always knew what they wanted. They always knew when they came in. Like, for the most part, you better be drinking the same thing because I'm gonna give you what you've always drank. Um, but yeah, but I had somebody say, you know, Ryan, you really treat me like family. And you really listen to me um, because the coolest part about being a bartender is the stories that you get to hear from people. And, um, you know, it's fun too, but I really liked it just because um, when I got the job, I was brand new to town. I didn't know anybody. Um, my daughter was due in five weeks. Um, and because of that job, I, met a guy that got me a grant to our local community college that helped me pay for like a year of college. And because of that relationship kicked my butt into the door of, of education. And I guess kind of led me to where I'm at now. That is, that's awesome. And you know, I would, I could give you that same compliment uh, that you. you treat me like family and you listen. So, I, so I can see even back then somebody giving you that comment, you have not changed fundamentally. That's still you. That's right. I try. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So second question, who was your best friend in elementary school? And tell me about them. Okay. Oh, that is a good one. 
Okay, so my best friend in elementary school was, his name was Jason Dunsworth. Um, Jason, I don't know if you probably aren't listening, but he is now a state police officer um, in Indiana. Um, we would go skating. I remember going skating on Friday nights to the, to the skate rink. Um, I remember listening very, I really remember listening to Queen Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, skating around. Um, we were in Boy Scouts together. Um, I remember he used to have like bonfires at his house. His dad was a big farmer. So we used to play up in the hay barn and, um, we had a birthday party at his house and like seven or eight, eight year old boys went out into the woods and it was like, I want to say it was like November. It was cold, but we decided to go traipsing through the Creek and like half of us got pneumonia because we were just playing in the Creek in, the, in November. Um, but his mom taught me to, p- to play piano and, um, you know, most people can understand this. Sometimes, you know, you're good friends and then you go to middle school and you change and I became totally different and he became totally different. And we, you know, weren't really great friends after that, but in elementary, we were inseparable. I remember actually going to space camp with him. That is, I, I know your space camp story. That's so awesome. Yeah. I hope you, uh, I hope you, do you still have connection? I mean, like, do you still know where he is or anything like that? I do. It's funny. Um, when Hazel, our six-year-old when she was at when she was born he was actually working a part-time security gig at the hospital um, yeah so i got to reconnect with him for a little bit which was really cool that's awesome you need i hope he gets to hear this and you uh find a way to get it to him so he could so you could hear that story that's an awesome recollection i love that i'm gonna let um, him know. and so you know here i'm gonna age myself again you know my queen story right ryan i got to see them uh, live at madison square garden in the summer of 78 wow yeah, the summer that was the, the concert summer, I saw Rod Stewart that summer and Foreigner and um, all these people that were uh, uh, at that, you know, came through Madison Square Garden in New York during that summer when it was, you know, easy. You know, remember growing up in New York, um, you take subways and so like your parents don't have to drive you anywhere. You don't have to be able to drive. And so um, you can get everywhere on your own and you can. Uh, you know, we were poor kids that all had jobs, and so we had a little bit of money to buy tickets that didn't cost very much. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of a, a nice thing to be able to do. Seeing Queen was one of, that was a highlight for sure. So, okay, you will like the quote that we end the episode with, uh, because I picked somebody from around that era. Um, so, and I've got a, this is totally unplanned, but I've got a sidebar question. And okay. see if, and if you can answer it, um pretty concisely let me know do you think kids that grow up in the city are more independent because they are able to go on the subway and go around on than kids that you have encountered um later in life as a Uh, whole yeah no for sure i'm gonna say yes but also i'm gonna put like time stamp on it right sure so kids of my era um, you know, our parents didn't um, helicopter or snowplow us. So we were expected to kind of take care of not, I, I mean, it sounds bad, right? Take care of yourself. But, um, you know, our parents were busy and they worked and they had stuff to do. They had adult stuff to do. And so we were kind of expected to be able to fairly, you know, quickly, I'm not talking about eight years old. I'm talking about like, 
you know, you stayed home from school sick at 12, you stayed by yourself. You know, there sure. was no charity sure. But yes, because at, when you're in a city that has decent public transportation, you know when you have an option to get places without being taken. And so you get used to that. You know, my mother worked from when I was five until she, until like two months before she died. And she never had a driver's license because she always took public transportation, which was readily available, you know, and like what everybody did. So it wasn't, it wasn't unusual that she did. And so, yes, having raised my kids uh, essentially in the suburbs and, uh, you know, it not being a safe walking distance, you know, sidewalk walking distance from almost anything, you have to drive them everywhere. Oh, yeah. And so... Uh, definitely. I think that builds, that fosters uh, independence for sure. And what I think, and just reflecting on that, <clears throat> what I think is, is really funny too, is especially when you were a kid, the crime rates, when you were a kid in New York City or in the, just the, the country as a whole, were like half of what they are now. But people now are way more overprotective than they were back then. That'd be an interesting thing to study. Um, I know we don't have time to talk about it now, but well, I'm going to give you my one, my one, you know, word on that is my one sentence on that is we didn't have cable channels that had to be filled with content, and so the content was crime, and so we were we didn't grow up scared. Sure, we grew up wary, but not terrified. Sure. You know. Yeah. Two total different things. I, I completely yeah, get it. Sure. Um, so being as Ryan Scott sometimes likes to take tangents, I'm going to deviate just because I've thought of this next question in a different light. Um, and maybe it's because I've heard you on other podcasts multiple times. So I, and so guys out there, I'm being selfish here, but that's okay. Um, selfishly, I know how you got into education. And if anybody out there wants to know how you got an education, Marty has been on several other podcasts. I really want you to talk about what was it specifically, like what was that specific thing that kept you in education for 39 years? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, education has always been positive for me. I was a good student. Um, my early teachers uh, imprinted, you know, on me education as being a positive thing. I didn't have like any, I mean, I had a few, you know, semi-negative experiences. Uh, I wasn't terribly fond of my sixth grade teacher, uh, but I was uh, over, head over heels over my fifth grade teacher, which, you know, mitigated my sixth grade teacher. <laughs> it carried you through. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. And then my seventh grade Spanish teacher, who is, you know, the, the basis of the second question podcast, uh, which, by the way, you mentioned, and it is coming back for season two. Sweet. Uh, so there will be new episodes coming at some point in the next uh, month and a half or so. But uh, but education was positive. And so, and so what kept me going is, you know, I started with the, I want to be like her, my seventh grade Spanish teacher. And also, I don't want to be like my sixth grade teacher. So the year they have me, they won't have somebody like her. You know, and if I can be, you know, part of what my seventh grade Spanish teacher was for kids, then I want to keep doing this. But, you know, it's been, there has not been overtly like 
terrible negative things that have happened in my career. Now, ups and downs, you know, for sure. sure. It hasn't been, it hasn't been a joyride, but but education is different. It sounds cliche, but it's different every year. There's things that happen. You know, the first year every you know, day. The first year in the district uh, that I'm in right now, I'm starting my 24th year in the district. Um, I, you know, I was hired as the principal out of that rural school in Castroville, where you, so you drive through Castroville too on the way to your Um uh, to a school that I get hired at, and then it gets arson, gets torched, and it's burned down in what? July. Yeah, it gets burned down in July, and that's how I start my first year in the district that I'm in right now, with a burned down school and having a plan for that year. And wow, kind of that's a story. Where, but, yeah, but you know, but what people, what what made it okay was people, like people typically do, like educators typically do, is they're like, let's, we're going to do the best we can. Yeah. We're going to do the best we can with what we have. You know, uh, we're going to try to make it as pain-free for kids as we can. And and that's been, I, you know, uh, like you, well, no, like you used to be. Uh, you were in elementary for so long. Uh, you're in high school now. You know, high elementary kids, who doesn't love them? You know, like every single day, it's like self-esteem building. Absolutely. They, <laughs> they love you. They are excited to be there. And you know, school is a is a wrapped package of opportunity. You know what I mean for them? It's it's uh, you know I, I've called it before. Possibilities are endless. Oh my gosh! And you know, it's it's like a total. Uh, I've used the word the phrase before, opportunity zone. I mean, like there is anything you have total control in an elementary school, pretty much of what goes on within the four walls. So you can make experiences happen. And like, who wouldn't love to do that every day? Yeah, you know, right. that's, that's, I, I mean, you know, the, the, my dad didn't get to do that every day in the factory. Yeah, right. Your dad right. didn't at the machine shop, you know? My mom was a secretary for NYPD headquarters, you know, she didn't get to do that every day. And so, um, yeah, that's what, you know, so every year it's like, oh, I can't wait to see what, what's next. Yeah. Can't wait yeah. to see what happens next. My, uh, I had a principal that, tried to bring Disney magic to the school. And so he really talked about Disney and the way they did things and really compared our elementary school to Disney and bringing that yeah. magic for the kids. Um, so yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So that is a good segue then. Um, so you have been in it obviously for 39 years. Um, you started teaching when I was one year old, Marty. <laughs> um, and so you've seen it you've seen the ebbs you've seen the flows you've seen it come back um and i know you have a lot of ideas and um i just let's talk about like what is a problem with education that you see and then um what is your idea of kind of how we alleviate that so like we talked about before and by the way i want to clarify ryan you were two years old when i started teaching because i started in uh, the in August of '83, so you had already. Yes, sir. To, yes, sir. Uh, you are correct. Let's not let's not add a year yet. But um, <laughs> you know, like we talked about before, there are there are a lot of different ways that this has been going through my head about things that could change. One of them is, um, you know, we say we've raised expectations academically, but we've actually reduced expectations academically. That's one. Um, we have. Um, uh, we live in a society that devalues uh, intelligence, and yet we're fighting for um, intelligent, thoughtful people. 
that's you yeah. know, another one. But I'm going to go to one I think that I that I think is somewhat fixable at a very local level. So, okay. so it's practical. It's it's, yeah. it's fixed practically, and um, and that is uh, we we have removed as a society and as a school system, we've removed uh, responsibility from students in, in many, many, many uh, segments of, of what we do. And I think the problem is uh, that we need to, well, the solution to the problem uh, is, uh, we'll talk about it in a minute, but the, but the problem is uh, students have, been taught to be helpless. So, you know, we talked about, you and I had this discussion. We sure did. Yeah, that's what helplessness. I was getting ready to say. Yeah. And I kind of flipped it and I said, well, it's it's taught helplessness yeah. because they learn it uh, when we didn't teach it. Yeah. Yeah. And so and, I, think and I tend to agree the way you refer, the way you reframed it. Um, I definitely believe there is learned helplessness, um, but sometimes is the school the one doing the teaching? Right. And so, so and what are we so, going to do about it? Well, and so the way I think that it is solvable on a micro level, uh, you know, in a school, a class by class, a kid by kid, a teacher by teacher basis is, um, is a minor slash major mindset shift, which says, you know, you asked a question earlier that segues perfectly into this because you said we're uh, urban kids, city kids, more independent than rural kids, right? Than country kids. And I, and I want to go back to that. So when adults were adults, right? When adults were adults that had adult jobs and adult responsibilities and did not um, overly, uh, I hate to use the word coddle, but overly coddle kids and teach them that they can't do anything without adult intervention. When that existed, um, kids learn to be uh, what now the new, you know, because everything is a wave that comes back. Nothing today that is new is new. Actually new, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just re, you know, repackaging of the old, uh, which is another uh, problem in education. So there's, that's my fourth episode, right? <laughs> I've already talked about three, but on this one, um, if we took a step back and said, we are going to develop what now they call grit, right? They call capacity um, with, with kids. If, if the reason we have to even talk about creating that and, and uh, providing opportunities for that is we don't as a school uh, system and a society provide that. So what I'm saying is let's make that part of what we do every day. And so, and so the, the way you solve it is this. You are a kindergarten teacher, pre-K kindergarten teacher, and you're, you have your kids out at recess and a kid you know, stumbles, uh, falling, coming off the swing or you know, off the slide. And uh, what happens now is the first thing a kid does is look to see if there's an adult to go to right um what the adult does then is either go to the kid or the kid goes to the adult and the child 
what imprints on the child is I can't solve this problem myself. I need an adult to solve it for me. So that's minor, right? Um, what we teach them is, what we can teach them is, if you fall down, stand up, you know, brush the dirt off your hand, your feet, you're, if you're not bleeding, you know what I mean? You're not terribly hurt. Your choice is to come and sit, you know, come and sit out if you're hurt or just go play. Because right. when you fell as a kid, your parents weren't around to hover around you and pick you up and clean your, because you knew probably Ryan as a, as a, a semi uh, country boy. And I know you grew up in a small town, not exactly, uh, or yeah, I mean. No, I, right? I, I grew up in the country. Okay, so if you, every time you fell, went into the house, eventually you would, your parents would say, you know what, just stay inside. Don't go right? outside, right. Yeah, just don't go outside anymore. But, you know, at that time, your parents didn't sit outside and watch you either. They didn't watch your every move. They didn't go to you because they weren't watching every move. Sure. Because you, you, uh, you interacted with them, you brought them into your problem if you needed help. But you learned how to discern whether you needed help or not. Right now, um, societally, the adults are choosing that for their kids from a very early age. And the other example I give of that is um, youth sports, organized youth sports. So um, if you have your three-year-old in youth soccer, right, what you're in like an organized youth soccer, what they learn is there is an adult called coach and there is an adult called a referee and maybe it's the same person or, you know, whatever. Normally. But, but any, but any arbitration immediately is deferred to the adult's decision. So when you play baseball outside, when I play baseball outside, stickball, scoopball, a nice Brooklyn, um, you know, game, you know, scoopball, Ryan? Never heard of scoopball. Okay, write that one down. You need to look up scoopball. Okay. Okay. The Brooklyn people will know that. Um, if somebody goes out of bounds, the kids argue it out, right? The kids say, you stepped out of, you know, you went out of bounds. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. I saw you go out of bounds. And they figure out how to get beyond that moment. What we teach them when we put them in with an adult immediately is you don't ever have to worry about that because the adult's going to tell you went out of bounds. The adult's going to tell you, you know, where to stand, where to go, how to run, where to, you know, whatever. Because the value that's been put on doing something right. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of uh, dovetail on what uh, your, your, wonderful guest, David Fran Joseph said, um, you know, it, it, they, they judge the product and not the effort, right? right? And so they were looking, what, what happened was when products started becoming a thing for three-year-olds, there were, they, the thought in a, in a child was, I can't, I, I'm not either, you know, I'm going to go negative on this. I'm not able to make that decision. I need this adult to make it for me. I can't arbitrate myself. I need this adult to arbitrate for me. Um, uh, you know, it, it, and just fill in all of the situation. So at a school, if you start saying to a kid who, who, uh, and I want to draw this line as I, as I often have to do, I'm not saying if a kid comes to your class and doesn't have a pencil, don't ever let him have a pencil. But I'm saying if you have a kid who every day has perfect access to pencils, right? and chooses every single day not to have one, at some point, there needs to be a consequence sure. to not have a pencil. And sure. the idea is not 
that you're having a, a fight over the pencil. What you're saying to the child is, this is unfortunate. You've got work to do and you don't yeah. have a pencil. What are you going to do? You know, yeah. what are you going to yeah. do about it? Yeah. So, so when we start saying to families, when we start teaching them, um, you can't choose your kids clothes. So we're going to have uniforms. Um, you can't, because that's what people hear. You know, we think we're being helpful. Well, what people hear is you can't take care of your stuff. And so we're going to take care of it. So we're going to you do, don't do your laundry. So we're, you don't go get your supplies. So we're going to get your supplies. You don't, you know, uh, whatever. You don't load, seek out opportunities in the community for your kids. So we'll provide it for your kids, right? And I think over time, over time, what we've taught people is, is I don't have to do that. The school will do it for me. And kids see that too. Kids show up first day thinking, what do you mean you're not going to give me everything? Like, what do you mean right. I have to get it myself? What do you mean I have to do it myself? What, all of those things. And I think what that has caused to happen is for kids to, number one, be taught helplessness. But number two, they lose the muscle memory skill of being able to solve a problem, to think through a situation, to solve a problem. So, so I'm going to go back to what's so great about school. In school, I tell kids who get into scraps at school every now and again, you know, we'll have a, an altercation, as we like to call it, right? Uh, and it's rare. It's rare. Our school has had, I want to say, if we even had 25 out of 600-ish kids, we had 25 this one referrals all year, I, that may be about what it was. That's great. But yeah. Um, but if a kid gets into a fight and you say to them, you know, you have choices in here. In this building, there are choices. Now, if you're outside, I point out the window. If you're out there, you may not have choices. So right. that may have been the choice. But in here, let me show you what the choices are in here. So you at least know there are other choices. Does that make sense? Mike? Yeah. And so, yeah. And so I think what I would like to see is schools let kids develop the skill of handling their own needs, let families, you know, let families have the dignity and the honor of learning to solve their own issues, because this is what scares me, right? We are, um, I'm in my 39th year, you know, there may come a time, it's hard to believe that I may retire. And if I do it all for you, who, you know, what happens when I'm gone? What happens when you leave Salinas and go to middle school? And what happens if I've never taught you to take care of your own stuff? Yeah, you know, yeah. What if, what if I just did it all for you and you never learned how to do it? Yeah, and and I know what you're saying. I mean, you're not saying like <sighs> people come to you and ask them for help. Nope, sorry, do it on your own. That's that's yeah. not what you're saying. No, you're saying. If nothing else, you could sit down with these people and talk them through it and think them through it. And the same thing with the kid, um, same thing with the behavior. It's not the consequence that changes, it changes behavior. It's the conversation. So it's developing those relationships with those kids and developing those relationships with those families, um, maybe to point them in the direction of the services, to point them in the direction of you know something that could potentially help them solve that problem Does right kinda... and, really, and, and i want to highlight this and really respect and honor their dignity and capability to do it sure because because what what negative people might say is well they'll never i mean you've heard this before oh yeah well if i don't do this for him he's not gonna ever you know whatever but like give him an opportunity yeah give him the choice 
Yeah. Right. Because if you if you if you automatically do it, then you're right. He'll never do it himself. Yeah. But if yeah. you you know show him the direction and and uh, and give him the you know the opportunity and the and the um, the skills to know how to choose and and to make choices and you talk them through it all. I like how you said that. You know, it's not just well, no, so too bad. You know, figure yeah. it out. It it's hey, we have you know, I can point you to this resource. I can point you to that resource. Um, I know where you can get uh, uniform clothes. I know one school is like, hey, Academy, this you know sports store here. Academy yeah. has two five dollars right now. They're on sale. Um, go to Walmart. There's you know whatever, but but let them let them have the experience of doing that. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I've got a couple of ideas um, on this vein of things that I could see within a school system helping. One of those. Um, and, it, and I know they do it in Japan. I don't know if, if it's not culturally accepted here to do it, but, um, the kids cleaning up the cafeteria, the kids cleaning up, um, the classroom, the kids, um, heck I would, I've done it before. Sorry. Anybody out there that doesn't, I have asked kids to help clean the bathroom before. Um, kids need to know how to those, to do those things. Um, and then, a and then another idea that I have, and I always did this in my own classroom, um, on one aspect, I did it because, let's be honest, it was less that I had to do. But on the other aspect, um, it taught kids responsibility. And that was, um, if I had 25 kids, we would come up with 25 jobs. And the anything and everything that I needed done in the classroom, um, I remember one year, I had this kid that he did nothing else. He had a timer. And it was fourth grade, so those were uh, roughly ten year olds. So every ten minutes, yeah, every ten minutes he would give me a thumbs up, and that would give me a sign that I needed to do a brain break. Um, he was kind of a behavior, kind of had some behavior issues also, but it gave him responsibility. It gave him a, um, I think, kind of what what you're talking about. So I would, I would love feeling to see of, those two things. Feeling of pride, a feeling of being needed. Yep. Uh, you know, of being, of being vital to the group, uh, because the person who doesn't participate in all that, and by the way, I'm fine with the, the uh, cleaning the cafeteria stuff, especially if you've made a mess, uh, either through by accident or on purpose. And most kids, I'm going to tell you that, that very, well, I, I don't know about most kids, but very often if a kid drops a juice, they will pick, they, they don't just sure. sit there and look at it. Sure, They'll pick sure. it up and Sometimes they'll ask, uh, you know, they'll go and get a paper towel or something like that. And I may tell them even then, you know what, I appreciate you doing that. Uh, but the custodians have a mop. Let me, let me let them just do that. But I appreciate that um, that their first thought is to do it themselves. Now, the opposite of that is we'll have kids that, you know, will throw something or something will clearly fall off the tray, you know, while they're carrying. <laughs> and, I, and I'll say to them, you know, whose shop is it to pick that up? Because, you know, Mr. Omar here didn't make that mess. You know what I mean? He didn't make that natural mess. consequence. So, yeah, whose job is that to clean that up? So uh, definitely giving them the opportunity, and it's not. I, I, I think there is a thought that doing that is not helping, but I'm going to tell you that not doing that is is helping. You know, I agree because you see kids build capacity. Absolutely. Uh, and so, you know, and you know, I'm all about that. You read my building capacity by letting go yeah. uh, blog yeah. post. So, you know, a lot of that is, um, is based on that, that idea. Excellent. Yeah. 
So, um, no, I agree. I, I agree with that. Um, we've spoken before and learned helplessness is, in my opinion, another epidemic. Um, you know, Carol Dweck says growth mindset or uh, static mindset. And I just, I honestly, I see a static mindset as another repurposing of learned helplessness. Uh, maybe sure. we're doing some things within the school to, to increase that, but I like your ideas. And, and for me, it comes down um, tough love. I love you, but I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you, but I love you so much that I'm going to be tough on you and I'm going to make you figure out the issues. Um, well, I want you to be, you know, I love you so much that I want you to be the smartest, you know, most capable, uh, you know, most full version of you that you can be. And, and I, I, I can't emphasize it enough. So I'm going to say it again. So people are going to be tired of hearing this, but if I don't, I, I respect you, I respect your dignity and your capability. And so I know you can do this. Yep. I don't, I, I don't want to ever make you think that you can't do it. Uh, if I've never given you the opportunity to do it or, you know, expected you to try that, that is huge to me. That's a great way to sum it up. Um, and so to my listeners out there, um, if you like what we've talked about tonight, because I think this is, I think this is a great topic. Um, you know, I've said it before over and over and over to me, it's all about the psychology of the building. Um, pedagogy is great. Um, content is great. Um, but one thing especially in the coming work environment, our kids are going to have to be able to solve problems. Um, they're going to have to be able to think critically. Um, and if we don't ever give them opportunities to do that in our school systems, um, let's be honest, the majority of them won't. Um, so Martin, thank you very much for talking to us tonight about your idea. Um, if anybody out there which I know they will, if they want to get a hold of you, if they want to connect with you, how can they do that? Yeah, no, I would love to connect with uh, anybody uh, who's listening who has a question or um, uh, wants to push back on anything I've said. I'm, I'm great with that. Um, you can reach me on Twitter. It's at Mr. Silverman 116. Uh, I'm on Facebook just under uh, my name, Martin Silverman. Um, feel free to connect that way. Uh, I'm on Instagram, but uh, I always tell people the Instagram you're welcome. <laughs> my Instagram is almost all is almost all food pictures, and I also like to cook, and I have a foodie. A so yeah, and so well, and so that's uh, you know a lot of what the Instagram is. But if that's a, a common interest, you're welcome, welcome to to connect that way. Uh, I would love to continue the dialogue and uh, hear other people's thoughts, definitely on this topic. Yeah, and uh, you'll run. You'll want to reach out to Marty. He's got a wealth of knowledge, as you definitely have heard tonight. Um, to my listeners out there, like I like to do, thank you once again for choosing to spend your time with me. Um, I'm going to leave you with a quote. Um, I'm not sure if Marty got to hear this guy in the summer of '78. It, this is by Steven Tyler, the um, the the man himself. Dream on, dream on, dream until your dreams come true. So uh, on that note, thank you once again for checking out the Big Ed Idea Podcast. And as always, I will see you in the funny paper. 
thank you for hanging out with me here on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. My hope is that this would be a conversation, a meeting of the minds and a space for one person's vision to inspire the passions of another. However, none of this can happen without you. So let's be change agents together and build a better future. Please subscribe or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Come to the conversation with your passion, and together, let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper.